is going on here. So I share these stories because, to be honest, I have never had a stretch where I've seen there be such a grace, with such an ease for Jesus to be shared with people. I have never seen such a hunger in people. And when this happened, I got in touch with a bunch of people on leadership in the Anglican Diocese and said, are you seeing this? And story after story after story came back of, yes, we're seeing the same thing. Weird things are happening. There's a hunger for God at the moment. So I think God is on the move. And I think God might be about to do something like quite amazing to renew his or her church. Like I actually do. And um, and, and I, that stuff confuses me because part of me thinks, well, God, why don't you just move in power all the time? But it does seem throughout history that there are these moments where God turns up and does something like quite spectacular in a moment. Uh, recently, some of you will have heard about the Asbury renewal. Did anyone follow that? So basically, okay, there was this uh, university in Kentucky and they were having a standard church meeting. And the preacher for the night finished his message and he sends a text to his wife about his message, and the message says, another stinker, another crap message. After that message, worship broke out and didn't end for 18 days. 18 days. Thousands of people came everywhere. People came from Mexico, drove like 60, 80 hours up to receive healing for what was happening here. Um, yeah, thousands came. The other thing is, it was like really humble. They accepted no offerings. They had no offering box. They didn't want anyone's money. Um, they turned away celebrity Christians. Any celebrity Christians who wanted to come, they said, no, we don't actually want you here. We don't need your attention. Like, um, if you were to ask me... That's who... why you didn't go away, Scotty. Sorry? That's why you didn't go away. That's why I didn't go away. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> turn me away. <laughs> no, they're afraid the renewal would end. Um, but... Um, but if you were to ask what was the name of the person who led the renewal, nobody knows. Because it wasn't a hero. I don't even know the name of that pastor. No offerings. No celebrities. Um, and you know what they did actually? After 18 days, it's a funny thing. I was on this university campus. And on the university campus, there was a Bible college, a seminary. And there was the university. Like the secular university. It didn't break out at the Bible college. It broke out at the university which is kind of funny. Um, and, um, and in the end, it became so disruptive to classes and everything that the people who ran it prayed, and they're like, if this truly is a work of God, it will continue whether there's a meeting or not. And actually, we're being a real pain in the ass to our neighbourhood right now, so we're going to wind this thing up. There's something like quite different in the spirit of that, eh? Isn't that kind of cool? Like, some people might say, oh, they were quenching the spirit. I don't think they were. I think they just saw... Like, it was interesting, eh, um, hearing an interview that... Uh, um, with Pete Gregg, and he was saying that during this, they were like encouraging people, hey, don't forget to go home and do your washing. Don't forget to brush your teeth. Like, it wasn't this thing where everybody just, you know, ran off into this crazy meeting and forgot how to be humans, but actually they were saying, continue to be good whole humans. Do your washing. Keep on with the stuff. God will still be here when you come back. It was a beautiful, different kind of renewal. And the thing with renewal movements historically is that they spread. They always spread. Um, and it's my conviction that I think Asbury might be one of those moments where something is about to spread. And that what I'm feeling and what I'm sensing and what others are telling me about sensing might be that God is about to do something particularly significant in our midst. And for those of you who are looking towards, um, or maybe not looking towards, terrified of Renew Hui and that we're going to think about sharing and evangelism and oh my gosh, what I want to say to you is that actually I think God is coming to meet us halfway. 
and that actually stories you feel terrified to tell, you're actually going to be invited to share because people are so damn hungry and curious to hear them. I think that's the moment we're in. Um, there's a, a guy, um, Fogel, who uh, wrote a book in, um, in 2000 around awakenings and renewals. Um, can you put up this first quote? We'll go up there. I really like this. He says, Renewals are the results not of depressions, wars, or epidemics, but of critical disjunctions in our self-understanding. They are not brief outbursts of mass emotionalism by one group or another, but profound cultural transformations affecting all people and extending over a generation or more. Awakenings begin in periods of cultural distortion and grave personal stress, when we lose our faith in the legitimacy of our norms, the viability of our institutions, and the authority of our leaders in church and state. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Can you go to that next slide? Periods of cultural distortion and grave personal distress. Man, who do you know who doesn't have anxiety at the moment? Periods of grave personal distress. The wheels are falling off for a lot of people. Loss of faith in the legitimacy of our norms. Yes, absolutely, yeah. How many times have you heard the phrase in the last three years, the new normal? Like, I think that tells us something. Loss of faith in the viability of our institutions. Institutions we have never questioned before, we're beginning to question both for good and for bad. Think of in the States, defund the police. When has a sentence like that ever existed in history before? A profound distrust of our institutions, loss of faith in the authority of our leaders in church and state. Well, we're seeing the absolute upheaval of the mega church at the moment, eh? But there is a loss of faith in these leaders in church and in state. We could see Trump with that as well. So the reason I share this little bit of kind of sociology here is because I want you to hear that I'm not just jacked up on God um, appearing to do something kind of I've got a feeling about but that actually a lot of people are saying at the moment that there is a sociological reason that we come to renewal because the hunger gets great in us, because we come to grave personal distress. We lose faith in the legitimacy of our norms. We lose faith in our institutions, and we lose faith in our leaders. And then we are so hungry for truth or something new to come through that God matches that hunger and meets us. Am I making sense so far? So... I think we may be coming into one of these times of renewal, and I want to look today at three renewals um, as a case study of kind of um, where we've been in history. Um, these are all from the last hundred years. Um, you can go to, I think there's a black slide next, which will... Actually, you can leave that there. Oh, that's fine. That's fine, too. Um, I'm so rough on you, Flora. Hey, I'll never give you a shot. Um, um, so the first of these is the Welsh renewal of 1904. Who's heard of the Welsh renewal? Some people have heard of this. So Welsh, Wales. Um, <laughs> just, um, <laughs> just in case. Um, I don't think anyone's ever mansplained to 80 people at once, say that was quite <laughs> So, huge social upheaval at the time. Huge, 1904 in Wales, huge social upheaval. There's been a massive change in the way people live. It was pretty much all agricultural, everyone was farming. 25% of those people in agriculture lose their jobs and are forced down into the mines. They become miners, like, within, within a decade. Like, huge, huge change. Um, the, the Welsh language was suddenly, like, dying out. I don't know how many of you have been to Wales, but they're kind of going through, like, a, 
uh, cultural like renaissance in the same way Te Reo Māori is here at the moment. We are um, they're starting to reclaim their language and reclaim their connection to the land. It's really amazing if you get to go there. But over this period, uh, over a generation, they had gone from two-thirds of the population speaking Welsh to um, two-thirds. So they had like dropped right down. Um, they had huge problems with crime, with drunkenness, and with violence. Like the society was really splitting up at the seams because people were under so much pressure. And in 1904, there was this evangelist, Evan Roberts, and he was only 26. And he began going around preaching and he said he had a sense that there was a renewal coming, that God was about to do something. And a key moment happened in a meeting where there was this young woman, Flory Evans, who just shouted out at one of the meetings, she said, I love Jesus with all of my heart. And a bunch of people who were there were just somehow captivated by this. They just never heard anyone talk like that. I love Jesus with all of my heart and something broke open. And a lot of them recognised that as a key moment where something began to happen. Over 1904 and 1905, 90,000 Welsh people came to faith. Nine, zero, 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 zero. 90,000 Welsh people came to faith in those two years. Um, I've got some cool little like, kind of anecdotes here from different people who were there at the time. Um, so um, this one's kind of lovely. Rumours spread far and wide down in the bowels of the earth, miners not only discussed the services, but actually boisterously sang the grand old hymns taught to them in their childhood, those almost forgotten through sin. Everything sprang into new life. Former blasphemers were the most eloquent, both in prayer and praise. These men appeared to be making up for lost time, the years that the locusts had eaten away. Drunks forgot the way to the bars, which in fact were empty in a few nights. All the former inebriates were busy worshipping. Quite wild, eh? Like, the bars were empty. This is actually like, I mean, it's very poetic, but you can actually read a bunch of stuff. Um, and, um, and the bars actually did clear out, eh? Like, people just stopped drinking. But this one, this one here, um, this um, anecdote, I flip and love, because I thought of Rose. This is so good. Um, Welsh miners bred ponies, strong and squatty, to haul carts of coal. In the dark mines and these awful working conditions, these pit ponies were motivated through beatings and commanded by profanity-laced language. These miners were now attending the revival meetings, being converted, and their lives were changed. Upon returning to work, the miners, these changed men, tried to command their ponies without swearing or beatings, and confused ponies stood there looking at their masters, not knowing what to do. <laughs> Even the ponies had revival. <laughs> so good, eh? But the, the, the amazing thing about this is that society actually transformed. It was not just a holy huddle in some church meetings, but society was transformed. By 1907, drunkenness offences were down 37% in Wales. That's huge. Like, that's enormous. Interestingly, 20 years earlier, they passed a piece of government legislation to try and achieve the same thing. Absolute failure. What the government couldn't do, God turns up, 37% reduction. Um, by 1907, 51% drop in violent crime. Huge, eh? Huge. So when renewal breaks out, it doesn't just change the church. It actually changes everything. It actually brings life everywhere. It, it affects the whole, the whole ecosystem. And from there it begins to spread. 
And so then we come to 1906, um, and what some of you might know as the Azusa Street renewal. Does anyone know this one? Wow, I'm so glad nobody knows this. It feels really exciting. Oh, some people, right, Paul knows. Um, he's still living in it. Um, so good. Um, so the Azusa Street renewal, 1906. Okay, so, so societal temperature at this time, similar to Wales, huge societal unrest at this moment. Just um, under half a century since the Civil War in the States, 620,000 soldiers died in that war. So you've got a whole country which is reeling from mums and dads and brothers and sisters. 2% of the country died in that war. So hugely, hugely impacting moment. Uh, at the end of the Civil War, roughly between 1863-1865, most of the slaves, not all, were emancipated. Um, but the Union was like completely falling apart. Like just deeply divided, deeply racist country. And um, this guy decides to draw together a prayer meeting um, in 1906, and his name was William J. Seymour. William J. Seymour was the son of emancipated slaves. He had grown up in abject, like extreme poverty. Um, he caught smallpox when he was young, so he was actually missing one eye. Um, but he'd become a preacher. Um, and he gathered together a group of, of six or seven other mates of his, and they began to study Acts 2, 1 to 4, which is just the, the passage where, of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes out. Um, and where um, he begins, uh, the Spirit begins to pour out and they begin to understand one another. And they commit to praying until Acts 2, 1 to 4 happens in their midst. They're like, we're going to keep praying until this happens here. Luckily, it happened really quick, um, because they could have been here a long time. Um, but um, this renewal breaks out, and for eight to nine years, from 1906 to 1915, thousands of people come to Azusa Street um, in California, um, and they experience these incredible transformations. Now, the other thing that is crazy about this, they were super into... Um, into uh, charismatic gifts. So this was kind of the original birth of like Pentecostalism. So they were really into speaking in tongues. They were seeing a lot of healings. They were really into words of knowledge, all that kind of stuff. Um, but they were also, this is 1906, 1906, the height of Jim Crow segregation, right? They are an integrated church of African-Americans, white people, and Latinos in the middle of segregation. So they're wacky in Holy Spirit ways, but they're actually wacky culturally too. They're bringing together and inviting people no one else would. The other thing is, they had women speak in church who wouldn't even get the vote for another 20 years. They're a wild congregation. You know, they had such deep spiritual authority, but also such deep moral authority. Eh? Like amazing, amazing people. So there's this revival rolling through the world from Wales to the US. Um... And I started to wonder, surely at some point this hit our shores. Surely at some point this arrived here. And I had a little inkling about maybe what that might have been. So I messaged a friend of mine, Keith Newman, who's written this book called Bible and Treaty. Um, and, um, and, and I said to him, I have a hunch of where this, of, of, of something that happened here in Aotearoa, and I think it might be the grandchild of this renewal, the Welsh renewal, to the Azusa Street renewal to here. And I said, do you think I'm onto something? He's like, no, nah, that's absolutely it. And so we were talking about the um, renewal that happened in 1918 at Ratanapa, um, just outside Whanganui. Um, so can you put up the next slide there? 
This is really cool, actually. I was really, I was driving back from, um, I was driving back from uh, Wakuni today um, with my daughter who's here. Um, and we actually pulled into Ratana Park. Um, and um, and uh, I need to give you a bit of the story, but I'll put that in the, in the background there for the moment. Um, so the social factors around this time. 1918, when, um, when Wiramu Tahu Ratana um, begins to draw crowds, the flu had taken um, 9,000 New Zealanders. Influenza epidemic was at its height. The war had taken 18,000, World War I. Um, at the time, there were 50,000 Māori in New Zealand, 2,500 died of influenza, and 336 died in World War I. So 5% of the Māori population had been decimated in four years. It was a really, really awfully low point um, for a community of people who had like, very recently just come out of the land wars um, and had just come out of moments like Parihaka. Um, a deeply divided and racist country. There was a lady in 1912, Mere Rikiriki, who was a, a Rongoa healer, Māori indigenous um, healer and a faith healer. And in 1912, she foretold of a prophet coming. And an interesting thing about Mary is that she um, actually had been a parihaka with Te Whiti and Tohu. So that was kind of her spiritual whakapapa. And she said, a prophet's coming. So in 1918, Wurumu Tahu Potiki um, is here on the deck of this house where we went today and sat and prayed. And he has this powerful vision of God reaching him. Um, his son, Ormeka, comes down deathly sick. He has a, um, like a, um, a bit of a like, flax needle embedded in his knee, and it's, um, it's gone infected. And he feels called to fast and pray, so he fasts and prays for a week, and his son receives healing. Following this, Māori begin to arrive in droves at Ratana Pā. Now, here, um, all around us, if you go to Ratana, like it's a full town. Like, there's lots of buildings everywhere. Then it was basically an encampment. They said every day a minimum of 20 and a maximum of 100 Māori were getting off trains and coming to join this renewal thing that was happening. They saw incredible healings. Um, this is more anecdotal, um, but um, what I've heard at Ratana is there is a room there um, which is tapu, which they don't let people into, but it is filled with the crutches, the walking frames, and the wheelchairs of the people who came there and were healed and left those things behind. This was a renewal right here on our own soil from 1904 Wales to 1906 Azusa to 1918 here, and profound cultural breakdown, societal breakdown, God turns up. This was the largest pan-tribal gathering for decades before it and for decades afterwards. It was a huge point of renewal for Māori at the time. Cool stories, eh? Like, this is some, some cool stuff. Um, yeah, Luna and I went and, and just sat on the porch there um, today and um, just had a pray. Actually, it was really cute, eh? Um, and um, you can, like, totally tell with little kids when the Holy Spirit turns up, eh? Like, they take on a different, like, a different demeanour. Um, and we just sat there and prayed together, um, and I got in the car, and I was just, like, feeling, like, kind of jazzed up, and I was like, Jesus, do it again! And I just hear from the back seat, Jesus, do it again! <laughs> and then, like, out of me came this Pentecostal, come on! And then I hear Luna go, come on, Jesus! <laughs> 
It's like, yeah, come on, Jesus. Like, um, but it was lovely. So what, what can we find in common here about these renewals? Times of enormous social struggle and upheaval, where God's spirit arrived. Peoples were healed and society was transformed for it. Now, would you agree with me that maybe we're in a moment where a renewal would be really helpful? Yeah. 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 (laughs) Like the most cynical of you in the room might be going, I've heard these talks before, I don't know if I believe, but would you agree that our moment is a little bit like these other three moments? Yes. Absolutely. And so then I want to turn to, well, what does this then require of us? If this is the moment we're in, If my little encounters of people seeming hungrier for God than they have been before, and other people telling me they're seeing the same, and if Asbury and the way the global church is talking says that God might be on the move in one of these kinds of moments, what would that require of us? What could we do now? So the first thing. There's um, Reverend G. Cable Morgan, an Anglican priest in... um, in, uh, the UK at the time of the Welsh revival, and he went to see what was going on. He put up this quote. Um, you'll need to, um, uh, I'm going to add lib this a little because some of the language is a bit highfalutin, but we have to change halfway through for it. So he said this You may ask, how did this happen? Where did this all begin? But in the name of God, let us all cease to find it. At least let us cease trying to trace it to any one man or convention. You cannot trace it. And yet I will trace it tonight. From where has it come? A praying remnant have been agonising before God about the state of the beloved land. And it is through that answer that fire has come. You may tell me that the revival originates with Evan Roberts, the evangelist. You may tell me that it began in a camp meeting where a dear girl bore testimony. If you or I could stand above Wales looking at it, you would see fire breaking out here and there and yonder and somewhere else without any collusion or prearrangement. It is a divine visitation in which God is saying to us, see what I can do without the things you are depending on. See what I can do in answer to a praying people. See what I can do through the simplest who are ready to fall in line and depend wholly and absolutely upon me. It's a pretty cool account, eh? See what I can do. And particularly, I'm... um, I'm drawn to that a praying remnant have been agonising before God. A praying remnant, a small few people have been saying, God, show up and heal your land. Earlier this year, um, I just felt the need to get together with seven or eight um, friends from around our Renew communities and to begin to pray together. Um, I just felt like so exhausted by our current cultural, social, and political moment. I was just like, I actually just, I just can't lead in this anymore. (laughs) It's just so tiring. And I just so need the voice of God right now to know what I should be doing. I feel like I'm being pushed around by every agenda under the sun. I'm being pushed around by um, everything that would demand for my attention. And Jesus, I just need to hear from you. And we got together and... um, then the Spirit just began to turn up, eh, for this little praying remnant. And the focus of our prayer is, Jesus, you need to be our first love again. 
You need to be above all else again. You need to be higher than our causes, higher than our political affiliations. You need to be higher. Um, you need to be higher than the actions we're trying to take. You need to be the centre of it all. And we prayed, and the image we got was of this picture of like coals spread out down the beach, like they've been kicked along the beach, and of gathering them back together. And when you gather the coals back together, the fire begins to take off again. And I don't know about you, but I reckon through COVID and the things that have gone over through the last few years, many of us are coals which have been scattered down the beach. And there are people who um, really enjoy getting their Sunday morning or their Sunday night back when lockdown was over and never came back and the coals were scattered down the beach. And I think God is saying, will you bring together a praying remnant at the moment of hot coals? Will you take the scattered things and draw them together? Because I'm ready to breathe oxygen on that and to start a fire again. So the first thing we can, this can require of us is we need to begin to pray. And we need to begin to pray to become hungry again. I think some of us have got used to being spiritually malnourished. And we think it's okay. We think this is just what it feels like to follow God. But there is actually like a banquet prepared in the, in the presence of our enemies. Eh? Like there is actually... More, and we have become a malnourished people, not just here, but in the Western Church and here in Aotearoa. And we need to begin to hunger again. And part of how you begin to hunger again is you begin to eat again. And so we need to begin to pray. We need to draw together praying remnants, and we need to begin to eat. We need to begin to hunger. But secondly, we need to begin to say what Flora even said in that meeting, Jesus, I love you with all my heart. Jesus, I love you with all my heart. Like, actually, like, there's no second-tier commitment Christianity. Either this is Christ who loves us, who went to the cross for us and rescued us and the universe for all time, or he is not. And if that's who he is, he just deserves all of us, eh? All of us. If that's truly who he is, he doesn't deserve to be an add-on to our lives. He deserves to be everything. And we need to make him everything again. We need to be able to say, I love Jesus with all my heart and mean that again. And then thirdly, how we respond to this. You know, during all of these moves of God, there were critics and cynics and skeptics who went to visit to convince themselves nothing was happening. I watched this happen with the Asbury Renewal a few weeks ago. I watched some of my um, mates online begin to pull the thing apart. I thought, man, like, the last thing we need right now is anyone pulling apart good news. We are so desperate for any good news. Why? Why are you doing this? Um, you know, Ratana was actually called a false movement by our own Anglican church. We didn't believe it was a real thing. Bishop Justin actually went a few years ago and apologised on the par there. And since then, there's been a beautiful relationship. But there was, you know, there was a um, there was a hundred years of mamai there because God moved, and we said God could not move among the Maori people. Like, and so there are always going to be cynics and sceptics. And I want to give to you a quote today from um, Rachel Held Evans around cynicism. Cynicism is a powerful anaesthetic we use to numb ourselves to pain. 
but which also by its nature numbs us to truth and joy. Grief is healthy. Even anger can be healthy. But numbing ourselves with cynicism in an effort to avoid feeling these things is not. You know, my response to cynicism used to kind of just be to like berate people and yell at them. <laughs> like, why are you so cynical? But I think reading a quote like this, the thing that kind of I feel God pours out of my heart is to say, who or what hurt you? What hurt are you carrying that it feels too costly to believe that God really could be moving? You know, some of us, I think, we try to intellectualise or, or make academic our cynicism. I don't actually know if many of us believe at hardcore research where our cynicism begins. I think normally we begin at hurt or disappointment. And as you go through life, you pick up disillusionment and you pick up disappointment and you realise the world is not as you wanted it to be. But man, we need to put that hurt before God so it doesn't turn into cynicism which dashes our hope. You know, I was thinking... Um, the year after my marriage broke down, I took five weddings that year. I had to turn up and do the one thing which would be the greatest source of cynicism in my life. And I would find myself, you know, um, at um, Rose and Max's wedding, at Jess and Jessie's wedding, at Alana and Josie's wedding, at Garland and Olivia's wedding. I think there's one other in there, which I hope there's no one in this room. <laughs> um, but you know, there was a part of me that went... Does this covenant even work anymore? There was something cynical in me, but what did I do? I stood inches away from people with tears in their eyes committing to make it work between each other. And I believe in it. I believe in it now. I believe in it again. I believe it's good, and I believe when people make that commitment, it can last a lifetime. But it's because I stood only inches away from people who believe that. And guys, if you're hurt, if you're broken down, if you're cynical, if this message and the belief that God could actually do a renewal feels like something that you just can't believe in, I would say get inches away from the faces of people who can believe it, and you will begin to believe it again. Get inches away from the face of Jesus who will say, I can do it, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, I will come and do something powerful. Look upon those people who get it. And be enlivened by them. Guys, it is not worth missing this wave to be safe and to be cynical. It's just not worth missing it. And so I ask you, who hurt you? What hurt you? It's okay that someone hurt you. It's okay that you are hurting. But go to counselling. Get the prayer ministry. Do the thing you need to do to be able to be filled with hope again and to be able to carry hope in your heart. Hey. I'm not saying anything that happened to you should have happened to you. Awful things have happened to some people in this room that never should have happened. But I don't want you to miss out on a move of God in your generation because of what happened in your past day. Yeah? So there's three things we can do. Bring together a praying remnant. Become hungry again. If you hear this and you want to be part of a praying remnant, come and talk to me or Rose or Daniel after this service. We want to have you in a praying remnant. And we want to go, we want to be in small rooms where we just encounter the Holy Spirit in powerful ways, you know. Part of this hunger began for me as a few months ago, I think around New Year's, I was just sitting somewhere and I just briefly remembered nights of worship where I've been places where I've just been on the floor for hours and hours and never wanting to leave because God's presence is so good. 
And I just started to desire that again. Now, I haven't experienced that in a long time, but I desire that. And so if you want to be part of a praying remnant, have a chat to us. Secondly, make Jesus Lord again. Make him Lord again. He's either Lord or he isn't. And finally, if you hear this message tonight and you go, there's some real cynicism, there's some real scepticism in your hearts. Then I ask that question, and I want you to put it before God. Don't come answer, don't come answer me on it. But who hurt you? What hurt you? And what healing do you need to be ready for what God is about to do?